I reached voice mail box of Dan Johnson. Please leave a message and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Yo, Uncle Danny, call me back, dog. Let's go. It's podcast time. All right, all right. Well, welcome back, Willie Show Podcast. Uncle Danny's not picking up, so we're going to have to get to him a little later in the show. Welcome to episode nine, and I think we're going to call this a message from Joe. Get the F over yourself. All right, so Willie Show Podcast is a recovery podcast featuring garbage head fairy tales, the crazy stuff we did when we were out there, and the miracle of what the hell it took for us to get here to where we are now. Uh, we're still entertaining emails, willieshowpodcast at gmail.com. Please at us in all of your Instagram posts at Willie Show Podcast. And um, yeah, this is one of those weeks. This is one of those situations. Um, every now and then in recovery or in life, uh, you have one of these moments. And while you're having it, you're completely present. You're completely there. And then after it's over, you realize that it's like a it's like a linchpin or like something fundamentally has changed and uh, so I, I I got in contact with this guy he's um, he's a villa alumni his name is Joe and uh, we, we we had a conversation we had an honest conversation and um, you know I got off the zoom and uh, I broke like an egg. And, and, and Webmaster Zeta comes downstairs and she sees me crying and she knows it's like not sad crying. It's not happy crying. It's just like I had an experience. So I'm really excited to share this experience this week with you guys. Um, and I'm really excited that I have an opportunity to be alive today and to be sober and to give back to my small community. And, um, you know, Joe says it a little later, you'll hear it in the interview, but if if, if we have an opportunity to affect one person in a positive way, you know, that has to be enough. I mean, I've been trying to grow this podcast and, um, and, I, and, I, and I don't care anymore about, you know, this thing having exponential growth. It's really about how do I give back to the small community of people that have given so much to me. And so, you know, with it's a lot of love and, and really a lot of excitement that I present this week's edition of Garbage Head Fairy Tales, my man, uh, my friend, my new friend, Joe. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, Joe, let's, I got your time. I don't know how much time I got to you. So I mean, you got whatever you need, butter. Well, let's rip right into this. Welcome to the show. I'm Willie. And, uh, you know, why don't you introduce yourself? 
formally or informally, I guess this isn't an AA or an NA meeting, right? That's the great uh, thing about this. This is not an what, AA that's, meeting. That's, this that's, is not an NA like. meeting. So, but you can yeah. talk about AA and NA because it's not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, uh, I'm from New York originally. I now live in Salt Lake City, Utah. I've been okay. here for almost, almost eight years, I think. Um, I've been born and raised on Long Island and lived in New York most of my life and uh, moved to Florida for a few years, like close to seven years. I lived mm. in Florida. It was an interesting, interesting place to live. So I'll tell you that. How old were you when you moved down to Florida? I was, that was in 2007. So I was 26. I got, it was two years, I think, after I got sober. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Got sober. Uh, no, not 2006. That's my sober. So it's 2007, maybe 2008-ish, I'd say. So is it safe to say a lot of your uh, wildest days were in New York on Long Island? Oh, they, they all were. I mean, they all were. Yeah. I, uh, I got sober when I was 24. Okay. 41 now. Yeah. I'm 37. We're not too far off. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we kind of grew up at least in a similar time period. I'm, I'm from upstate New York. I don't know how well, you know, New York. Yeah, I'm from like, I well, I know, you know where I'm from. Cause I think we both have the same alma mater. I mean, you know, Kenny introduced me to you. And yeah, yeah. I'm assuming you know him through through uh, you know we went to the same treatment center. Well, I've so so going back to that, I've known Kenny for the majority of my life. My dad got sober when I was seven. Oh no and shit! Went, and went to the villa. Okay. And so, um, before you got there, because you got there after I did, right? Oh, quite a bit. 2019. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. I always, you know, I'm I'm really gonna miss those Zoom meetings, man, because the frequency that I was able to do it, you know, I I when I was living in New York, I was able to go up there and speak, and you know, it was ever ever so often. It wasn't all the time, um, but you know that that I always say is like a good byproduct of COVID, right? I was I was able to still stay connected and be in Utah, talk to the guys, feel like I was giving back to the place that saved my life. Oh, absolutely. So um, I, I, my home group brought in like a, a bi-weekly or weekly meeting. Yeah. So I was able to do a couple of those, but I remember distinctly when I was in the villa in the fishbowl yeah. and um, I remember guys coming in to bring their, to bring their message. Yeah. And I remember that feeling of like, I want to be one of those guys. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be the guy coming back here to sit in the fishbowl. I want to be the guy that gets to tell his story. So yeah. after 90 days, uh, Sue and Kenny decided they'd let me come back in to speak. And at that point, it, I mean, it might sound silly, but it was one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. Why does that my, sound silly? Yeah, well, I, I On the I don't surface, know. yes. I get spiritually, it. That, it doesn't sound silly at all. On every level, that's not silly. I mean, right. it's you, you. When when I got in there, I always tell people that the greatest gift that the, that the villa gave me was it, it tore away layers and and allowed me to to take stuff in and and not be judged. I mean, I tell people all the time, like that was the first time that I actually was able to truly bond with another man, uh -huh. right? And be in completely there. vulnerable, cry, laugh you know, all the shenanigans that went on and, uh, you know, 
to be able to do that. And then you're looking at these people that are coming in because for me personally, you know, I always tell people stopping drinking and drugging was the easy part, right? That was so easy for me. It was okay. hard. In retrospect, it was easy. It was horrible when I was going through it, right? With Charles, all that stuff. But fast forward, I mean, the hard part is is not being an asshole, right? Yeah. yeah. And so you see these people coming in and you're like, Jesus, I mean, I was broken spiritually, mentally, physically, uh, financially, you name it. I mean, at, at a young age too. I mean, a lot of people, one of my bigger challenges of, of going into rehab was you sit there and you look at yourself and you're like, okay, I'm 24 years. Like, am I, am I just being an asshole? Like, do I just sure. need to grow up? Is this a phase? Sure. And yeah, then as I, mean, I was, I, go ahead. No, I was just saying that I had the experience of, um, like, I, I didn't feel like I went to rehab to quit drinking or quit fucking doing drugs. I just kind of had this experience. Like I was out of cards, you know, like I had no, no, nothing left, you know, to give my wife to show or I sure. quit my, you know what I mean? So it was like, I keep hearing about this fucking rehab thing. So I had this minute moment of willingness where 24 hours later, I was up the street at the villa and confused how I even got there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mine was a little bit more, uh, my, my journey of getting there was a little bit more, uh, put together in pieces. It was, it was there. Well, let's get into that a little bit. Uh, when, you know, so you said, um, you said seven years old, your dad quit drinking. Yep. So when I, when I, uh, I remember going up there vividly, I, I, uh, I don't have a lot of memories when I was a kid, sure. uh, through a lot of therapy. I know why I've suppressed those memories because most of them were not good. Um, even after my dad got sober, you know, I, uh, mm-hmm. I love my dad. Um, but I always say that my dad for the majority of his life after he went and got treatment at the villa was a dry drunk. Right. He just had the absence of alcohol and drugs, but he still sure. had all of his his shit. Right. And his he carried all characters. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember that time vividly. And what I was saying earlier was what people don't like. A lot of people don't know this, but from the time that I was like seven, people that had been working at the villa or were a part of the villa had already been there for years and were there for the better part of. I mean, when I went in, when I was 24, the same cooks were there. Kenny was there. All these people were still there. They had been there forever. And then after that point, I remember going back after I got sober, where I started to see some new faces and some new people. But for for this really long stretch of time, these people became my family. Yeah. We went up multiple times a year. My dad went up, did his service, spoke at you know meetings. We went to the picnic. We went to all these different things. And so these people literally watched me grow up. Let me ask you one question. When yeah. you when you were in treatment, was Jim Jim was alive? Yeah. I didn't get that experience. Yeah. It's one thing, you know. Yeah. And uh as much as I loved him and 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 knew of him, like so I'll I I know we're probably gonna jump around a lot. That's so. fine. That's and fine. again, the I'm beauty not, of not having to, you know, go through the the speaking at a meeting thing. Um when when I, after my 13th failed suicide attempt that I know of, and a lot of people don't know this, and, you know, it wasn't just sticking a gun in my mouth and and doing other things. And I I try and, when I talk at meetings and stuff, I try and not talk about it too much because you don't want to start planting seeds and everything else. But it's it's very real, man. I remember um, that next morning I woke up 
um, I, I took a bunch of shit and I was like, I looked in the mirror and I was like, my life is so fucked up and I'm such a fucking loser that I can't even get suicide right. Yeah, I know that feeling. I know that like, feeling a, quite well. That, that's a problem. And I remember yeah. looking, and it's cliche to say it, but I remember looking in the mirror and like I became the one person I swore I'd never become. Mm-hmm. And that was my dad. Mm-hmm. And so I called my dad, who was living in Florida at the time, and all I had to say was, I'm ready. And he knew exactly what I was talking about. And he got on a plane, flew up to New York. Uh, it was my brother-in-law's birthday. Uh, I went over to my sister's house. Um, my oldest sister, I have two older sisters. And, um, you know, immediately him and my uh, my uncle, my dad's brother, uh, he came and picked me up in his minivan. And on our way, we were up to the villa. And the reason why I give that backstory is, you know, you think about all the people that were after me for money. I was in trouble with the law. I was on probation. Had all this stuff looming over me. Um, I was couch surfing at that point. At one point, you know, I I, I was just living wherever. Um, I would consider myself pretty homeless uh, for quite some time and didn't really have a, a solid place to stay and would just end up in the shadiest of places that I never would have imagined growing up the way I did. And um, out of all that stuff, I was exhausted, I remember, and I was sleeping. I was in and out. And what is it? It's a couple-hour drive. It's not too far from Long Island. No. But the entire time, the only thing when I would like wake up that was running through my head was, I can't face these people at the villa right now. No I can't, shit. I can't face these people that have watched me grow up because they're going to bury me. They're going to treat me like shit. They're going to reprimand me. They're going to do all these things. And I'll never forget when I walk through those doors. Obviously, they knew I was coming. Yeah. Spoiler alert, you probably couldn't have been more wrong. Everyone hugs. Thank God you made it. And Fuck yeah. Polar opposite. Yeah. One said, you're a fucking idiot. Why didn't you know your dad went through this? Didn't you know better? None yeah. of that. And so the reason why I give you that backstory is with Jim... Even though I had that history with everyone at the villa, once I got there, it was all about business, right? I got no preferential treatment. Meaning no. the business of getting sober. Yeah, he knew why I was yeah. there. Like, so there was no, just like, in case there's someone, I know my brother is like, a, my brother's a fucking teetotaler, like from the, from the book Teetotaler. And I bring him on sometimes as like the straight edge, you know, right. to read emails and shit. So um, for those that don't know, Jim Cusack, who passed away years ago, was the original founding member of of the Villa, which is a place that you and I both got sober. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so these people, like I said, they they were family to me. You know, when I would go up there and my dad would do his thing, I wouldn't be sitting in a meeting. I'd be in the kitchen with Mikey and, you know, they'd be screwing around. They'd take me to the pond, you know, and it's so funny to think when I was able to go walk around that pond when I was getting sober thinking of those memories and you know it was a beautiful experience because i was older and i was able to take it in more but then also i'm sitting there thinking like what the fuck am i doing here yeah shouldn't be here right i think everybody i think everybody that winds up in treatment one way or the other goes through a similar emotion of for me first off i'd eaten at least a sheet of acid in the two weeks leading up i mean there just wasn't anything that could satiate the hunger i'm a pure garbage head you know, yeah. if I run out of this, I'm doing that, you know? Yep. And um, so I, you know, fucking Kenny might have well have been melting still. 
but I still had that. I, I, I wound up getting this feeling of like my wife's getting a break. My mother's getting a fucking break. She's not worried about am I getting that phone call? You know, my son who's probably 14 or 15. He's 17 now. Yeah. You know, I had to go to him and say, you know, uh, your dad's going into rehabs for drugs and alcohol. And kids just like, kids are smarter than us, man. He's just like, um, we love you, dad. You fucking will be here for you when you get back, bro. You know, it's like, like, what? Where'd that come from? You know? Yeah. So my experience was a bit different. I was, I was angry at that point, even though yeah. I was, I just, things were bad. But for me, you know, at the end of the day, I knew the underlying reason or 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 motivating factor. I mean, I had completely surrendered when I went there. I, I literally the minute I walked in, there was no pushback, there was no nothing. I was ready to fucking listen. I was at the end of my rope, but I knew that I was going to get three squares in a bed, yeah. and I hadn't had any consistent consistency in that for so long. You know, that's why I tell people all the time: it doesn't fucking matter what gets you there, just as long as you got there. Because yeah. I remember comparing myself. You compare yourself because I'm young, right? Mm -hmm. And I'd sit in a room, fast forward, and I get out, and I raise my hand, and I start sharing. And you've got these older guys that are trying to get their shit together. And they're in their 50s and 60s, and they're like, fuck you, kid. Like, you don't know what it's like. I've been living this yeah. life. You know, you did it for what? Because I, I always say, you know, mine really started when I was 17. I was pretty straight edge up until then. But yeah, really but it good. sounds like you burned it down fast. I fucking, yeah. Oof. I, yeah. And so in the back of my head, I was always like, okay, as much as I want to sit here and say I'm young, maybe it's just a phase. The more I listened to other people and I could relate, not just to the situations, because situationally, that was never my thing. Right. And, and people would tell me that, like, don't, I don't want to steer you from that, but but relate to the feelings. Don't relate right. to the situations because I'm sitting there going, I'm only 24. You've got these guys barking at me. You're young. Shut the fuck up. Get your shit together. Grow up. Right. And I've got that going in one ear. And then in the other ear, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about like all these people because I'm going to meetings all over New York. Right. And I'm thinking, of, you know, I got this person that grew up in the projects with their, their parents slinging crack and their people are getting murdered all the time. Like, that's not the way I was raised. Right. That, that didn't cause me to get where I was. And so I quickly got that out of my head. And I'm like, it doesn't matter where we come from, how we're raised or what we do. We're all sitting in the same room for a reason. Yeah, that bottom feels really similar to all of us, man. That and every bottom has a trap door, right? Yeah. That's what yeah. they say. And so that's where I made the decision to be like, you know what? My, my bottom probably has a trap door and I could go further. But for me at that point, I'd already been to jail. Not for very long, but I, I went to jail. The suicide shit, all, like all that stuff. I'm like, my only, my only other option right now is death. Right? Yeah. But I wasn't one of those guys that I didn't jump from rehab to rehab ever. I that that the villa was my first quote unquote formal treatment experience. Yeah. Same here. Never I had a couple of mental hospital stints, but yeah. those are much different. Well, much different. Yeah, my story is I ended up in the in the loony bin after I got sober, like a year into it. Wow. I ended. Well, let's 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 uh. So like, you got me so curious, bro. I mean, so what got you there? I mean, you know, like you said, seven years old, your dad gets sober. Do you remember your first drink? Do you remember your first time using? Yeah, I remember my first drink. I got drunk at my buddy's house off of uh, 
screwdrivers, which after that day, I never drank them ever again. Yeah. And my buddy's mom came to pick us up and we went and go, we went and watched uh, that. Remember the movie Twister? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I remember. The, yeah, definitely. What a fucking disaster that was. Yeah. But that scene with the steak and eggs, man, where they're all sitting around the old lady's <laughs> house. I'm like, I wanted to model my life after that. Yeah. But, you know, that was that. And that didn't last. Like, you know, when I was when I was in high school, um, I was I I always people joked like they, they called the crew that I ran with J. Crew. Mm hmm. Because that's what we wore, and that's how we acted. And because we you look somebody. proper, like J. Crew apparel, and we were just like chill kids. A couple people would dabble here and there, but the the core group, like we weren't into that shit, man. We were out doing community service, and I was a huge, huge into sports. Um, I was a very good athlete uh, growing up, and so sports was my life. That was my focus, and I think that that kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. Because if if sure. I fucked around, my coaches, you know. They're going to be there. And for me, um, you know, looking back in retrospect, sports were so important to me growing up because I never truly felt like I fit in. But sports was an opportunity for me to fit in. Absolutely. And um, and you excelled. And I did. Saying, yeah. Um, but again, like if I look back at high school, like my high school experience was awesome. Right. Sure. Um, some people hate it. Mine was great. I had great friends. We did a lot of cool shit. I was the guy that, you know, tried to not have any of the bullies pick on people. Like I was the guy that stepped in the way and was like, fuck you, leave this kid alone. And people respected me because of my sports and the other stuff. And as yeah. I got older, I also had older sisters. So like their boyfriends were older. One of my sisters is only two years older. So I had her in high school with me for two years. So you know, their their uh, boyfriends or their friends were popular. And so they'd protect me. And then people knew that I was part of this group. And so I just, you know, it was it was it was a movie. My high school. Yeah. I, I I was the guy that would go and, and walk around the town and people like, hey, that's Joe Marvulo. Like that guy's like an incredible athlete. And I always tell that as part of my story, because fast forward years later, it was quite the opposite. You know, right. people. Were, oh, shit. Joe's coming. Like, let's get out of the way. But um I I didn't really jump into it too much when I was in there and um probably you think some of that you think some of that had to do with knowing with like your your exposure to recovery. No, and I'll tell you why cuz that was going to be my next thing. My mom and so alcohol's all over my family. Alcohol sure. um and drug addiction. And um my mom always, like in high school, always, because my sisters were never interested in that stuff. Like they'd yeah. never go to parties. We joke. Yeah. When my sister was in high school, she was in bed at 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Like she didn't want to go yeah. to a party. And like the one party she did go to, my mom shows up in her moo moo and like, where's my daughter kind of a deal. <laughs> you know? And not because yeah. she was an ass, but because she wanted to protect us because of what we had gone through and what she had seen through with her dad, my grandfather. And everything else but my mom constantly does so as i got older like once i hit 17 i was i was 17 my senior year. i was very young for my grade and i remember my mom like all the time she'd just try and remind me like be careful like you don't know and and to this day um i don't know if my mom saw behaviors or if she was just trying to be protective and be proactive about it yeah. my gut tells me that she saw behaviors 
that that she saw that was going to lead up to me starting to make some pretty shitty decisions. So she was your advocate. Oh, a hundred percent. My oh, I, yeah. I was the baby boy of the family. And yeah. she just, yeah, a hundred percent. And so for me, my story really started literally the day that my parents dropped me off at school. Um, I was one of the first in my family to go away to college. I went to Cortland. Okay. It was away. Hell yeah. yeah. I had, you know, other trips that I had taken for um, recruiting trips for other places. And, you know, I think now, again, in retrospect, I look back, I could have gone to better schools. I could have gone to other places. But in my mind, from a sports perspective, I was like, why would I want to be a small fish in a big pond when I could be a big fish in a small pond like Coral? Yeah, absolutely. And what was your, you were going with a sports uh, mindset? Yeah, football and baseball were the two sports. What's your, what's your football that I played position? In the, in the tailback and outside linebacker. No shit, outside linebacker. That's the best, dude. Yeah. yeah, you get through that line, you get to hit the quarterback. Just I played a little bit in JV, and of course, f- fucked up my life after that. Yeah. And it's like you don't. Re- for me, I never realized like that was my one chance in life to play football. Mm-hmm. I wish I had it a concept because there's just no better feeling. I remember. There was this one punt return, and I just saw red, and I and I ran through, and I got the guy, and I knocked him down, and I'm you know I'm feeling so fantastic. The coach comes out screaming, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" I'm like, "I got him." He's like, "You took down three of your own guys to get to him." <laughs> you don't get that kind of fun again, you know? No. But we chase that feeling, right? Right. Oh hell yeah. And I, I compare those feelings, like wrestling was my biggest sport. Wrestling was my sport, right? Okay. That's that, that was like the individual thing. I was a scrappy kid growing up. I was really skinny, but it was a sport I could excel at. Like I didn't need size and mass, but as I grew in college, I mean, in, in high school, I became much, much bigger by my senior year than I was. And so now I had some muscle and some weight to throw yeah. around. The sports that weren't as appealing to me and I love them, but like now I had some muscle and some weight to throw around. Um, but I, I went to school and I remember going out that first night and partying and I'm like, holy shit, like I can, I can take my old version of me and all the things that I hated and leave them back on Long Island and I can create this new version of me. Brand new. You're brand new. But what most people would do with that was like truly just try and find themselves. Instead, I created this new version of me that was a fucking animal and a piece of shit. Yeah. Because what's that look like? Single night, day and night, from that day, literally, my entire being was how am I going to get fucked up? How am I going to party? How am I going to do all this stuff? And that were just, you booze centered? I mean, college is probably booze centered, but. Well, I always say this. So drugs is a huge part of my story, but I needed a little liquid courage before I could get there. I always called it my sea legs. Yeah. Like I needed my fucking, and I like to, that's baseline, right? It's baseline alcohol. And from this point, we can go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, and, and, and it spiraled and it was long, crazy nights and it was a lot of drugs, a lot of Coke, a lot of other things. And, um psychedelics at all or mainly yeah, just like yep, psychedelics yep. I, I was uh i was i i mainly focused on a few things in college but college didn't last long for me because after my first after my freshman year i got a letter from the college that politely asked me not to come back right 
you know, move from dorm to dorm because I'd come back drunk and rip a sink off the wall and flood the entire floor, like just stupid shit. Um, and, you know, I think some of them are funny stories now. Yeah, do you have one funny, one, you know, one dumb funny story, an example of the ridiculous shit? I mean, ripping a sink off the wall and, and flood, that's pretty good. No, I mean, it's good, but like stupid shit where I'd be out drunk and, and we were trying to get a Christmas tree. And so we literally were trying to rip this, this Christmas tree out of the ground only to find out that we were doing it. I had no idea it was on the president of the college's front lawn. <laughs> yeah, Three yeah. o'clock in the morning, he yeah. comes out and he's like, what yeah. are you guys doing? <laughs> no, like this is just stupid. And, yeah. uh, you know, Christmas, I have a lot man. of, yeah, I have a lot of funny stories that I can look back on, but it's just, you know, like the night my sister was going to give birth, my me and my older sister were hula hooping on, on a bar, you know, and, and we, uh, my, my mom kept calling us to come home because she was going into labor. And next thing you know, me and my oldest sister are shit faced in the waiting room at the hospital. Yeah. You know, so it's like they needed to deal with us more than my sister's situation. Yeah, We're pissed drunk, acting like idiots, but you know, there there was some fun to some stuff, but that quickly went out of the way. I mean, I I, sure. I I realized that I created a lie real fast about what it was, and you know, mainly to my parents and my sisters and my friends. And she, she called, "How are things going? Oh, they're great. They weren't great. I wasn't." Yeah. Going so so is this kind of chi- so so are these things kind of chipping away internally yeah. at you? Yeah. You know, the, the fuck ups at school, having to leave the school, just different situations. Just yeah. kind of take little chinks, right? Well, I, I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety and okay. I still have it to this day, and I've had it for my entire life. And so then just start piling those things on, and life quickly becomes unmanageable and unbearable. And what do we do? I turn to my medicine. That was my medicine. Every day. That was my medicine. And and it progressed from going out and partying at night to then you know, nipping the the hangover off, and then just sure. all day and all night just being fucked up. And so, are I you left. holding jobs at the time? No, I mean that. That so fast forward, I come back okay. from 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 school, and I start working in a pizzeria, and um, I I'm attempting community college because my mom's all about you know you need to go to school, um, and so I was working at this pizzeria, and this guy comes walking in that was like one of my youth group leaders. Um, I didn't grow up super religious. We had yeah. religion in our life. Yeah. You know, not church every Sunday, but on holidays, my mom was a religious instructor growing up. I was baptized. I had made my communion, my confirmation. You know. Catholic? Yeah. 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 Okay. And so um so generationally that stuff is kind of it's a heritage. There's a heritage. Yeah. There, you know, I think down. it was more of the tradition than the you know, my mom was always like, do whatever you want when you get old enough. If you right, go get to, to this point, church. get confirmed. Then yeah. I don't care what you do. Yeah, do whatever you want to do. And That's so they were cool common. with that. You know, I used to joke because my dad or my uncle, we'd all go to, you know, Christmas Eve mass and everyone would be sleeping in the aisle, you know, and my mom would be pissed off waking them up. My mom was a rip, man. She's she was funny as shit. But anyway, um, so I'm standing in this pizzeria, this guy comes walking in and he goes, you know, what are you doing here? And he pulls me to the side and he goes, You don't you don't belong here. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like you're much smarter than that. Now he knows that one of my dad's buddies, uh, I started fixing computers when I was 12, 13 years old. I loved it. I've always okay. been into, you know, taking shit apart, putting it back together. 
Um, and so uh, I used to go over to my dad's buddy's ha- house on Long Island and like he had this back cottage and, you know, this is early on, I'm, I'm aging myself, but this is when computers first started becoming popular. And so he was a go-to guy and had a business where he'd repair computers and do stuff. And so I'd go spend time with him and I learned. And this guy knew this. This knew- is like after Apple IIGS? Are we into like the PC realm of things? Yeah, it's just the starting of PC. I just mean, even when I was in high school, I was, I was you know, programming my, my TI-82. Yeah. To, so this is like you know, DOS. This is like pre-Windows, yeah. you know, putting yep. in command prompts. Yep. And yep. yeah, good times. Yeah, it was. Now that I look back, it was yeah, cool Yeah, hell shit. yeah. But uh, so I started doing that. And so he goes, here's this address. I think it was a Friday. He goes, Monday, Monday afternoon, 4.30 p.m., dress nice, come to this address. And this is before we had, you know, Waze or fucking Google Maps. So I oh, yeah. my, printed uh, out my shit and went out to uh, Long Island, out, out, out east on the island, and uh, showed up and realized when I got there that it was Estee Lauder Corporate in Melville, New York. Mm-hmm. And so I go inside and I ask for this guy and immediately I sit down and realize that this isn't just someone that's, you know, trying to be nice to me. And this guy is the the vice president of global information systems for Estee Lauder. I had no idea what his job was, meaning I've known him, you know, and you meet people in life and you, and, and you don't know. I can't conceptualize what that what his job actually would be. Huge. Like. Yeah. Huge, yeah. huge position. Yeah. You know, big, big executive. Yeah. And so he sits down with me and he goes, Hey, listen, man. He goes, uh, You're, you know, I talked to you the other day. He goes, I know that computers have always been your passion. He goes, I'm going to give you a full time job as a, as a floor analyst for us out here on Long Island. And you'll travel back and forth into the city every once in a while to support some of those buildings. So essentially, what that job meant was if someone called the help desk and they couldn't fix their computer or something. <laughs> excuse me you're fine um i would go and fix whatever was wrong right so you're like the second level of of... so it's not so it's not it you're actually fiction it's 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 it it yeah i mean some of it's back end some of it's running and then i was also in charge um of their procurement so anytime someone needed something new i was the person that ordered it i got it threw it in my car and went and delivered it and then configured it you know wherever i needed to This was a big deal. I was 19 years old working. It's a big deal. Lauren, it's the closest person to me in age was 38 in my group. And these people at first were like, who is this schmuck? You know, and obviously this guy was like, you know, they probably gave some backstory to who I was and kind of take take me under their wing. But uh, anyway, so he goes, I'll give you this job. I'll pay you. I mean, I forgot. I think it was like close to $32 an hour. At the time with benefits, I'm like, yeah. that's I'm 19 years old back yeah, then. It's game time. And uh, he goes, there's one condition. You got to go to school and get your degree. First or during? During. During. All right. You're getting, you're and, in. And, Why not? And so at first I started at night because I was, quote unquote, going to classes. Mm-hmm. And at night I would go and I would fix computers that were sent in over by Europe, laptops, and then pack them up and ship them back out um, to people that needed them. And then that quickly shifted to the next semester. Okay, I'm going to schedule some night classes, right? Because online wasn't big back then and, mm-hmm. and, and you do it. So hey, I'm giving you all this backstory because this is a really big deal. 
Like this is a huge opportunity. And clearly this is a guy that saw something in me that knew me over the years and was like, this kid's smart. Like he deserves better. Now at that point, he had no idea where I was at. He didn't know that I was kicked out of college. I never told him that. I told him I just decided to come home and it was, you know, I wanted, I, that was my, but that might not even matter if he sees his potential, you know, he's taking you yeah, on his wing yeah. for a reason. But I, to be honest, literally when I sat down with this guy, I'm like, I need to lie. Like if I oh, tell him, yeah. given his position now, again, this is a lesson in life, right? You know, someone and you think something of someone and you have this version in your head of them. And then all of a sudden I sit down with him and all that stuff was out the window. And it was like, holy shit, this guy's super important. Like I, I have to mind my P's and Q's. I have mm-hmm. to like totally be all these things. Now that you have I'm, to invent this version of yours. Now here comes a new fucking version. Exactly. Yeah. Right. All right, here we go. And so that went on for a few years. Um, there was a lot of ups and downs. And every time he asked to see my grades, I had some sort of an excuse. Right. And so. Um, but your but but your work is there. Your work is solid. You're maintaining that aspect of your life. Yeah. 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 I would say that. Yeah. You're drinking. Yeah. My work is there. And he could tell sometimes when I was coming in where I had a long night out or. Sure. Whatever at that point I was Is it dating. mainly booze through this period or is there some cocaine? You know, yep. I mean booze, coke, weed. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Um, mainly the the down goes with the help me come off and come down and kind of calm to try and get a few hours of shut eye. Gotcha. So some Xanax. Yeah. It was always anything a in, yeah, anything in that realm is uh, fantastic. That, uh, yeah. And then at that point I would consider myself a garbage head. Whatever I could get my hands on. Yeah. I was into it. Yeah. And so at that point, I was, I had this job. I was also working at nights. I'd always worked in restaurants, so I didn't stop. Uh, I started working at a restaurant on Long Island at night and uh, not really going to classes because I wanted more money to party and uh, met this girl who was my manager, who was 10 or 11 years older than me and started Mm -hmm. dating her. Um, And she was partying. And so um, I quickly like elevated my partying to a more refined, like, we're really going to go out and do this. Not yeah, just the restaurant scene is just chock full so of partying hard. And yeah. it, especially, I, you, you were in the back of the house or the front of oh, the house? Oh. Yeah. So front of the house, it's like almost like the dude that's on more Coke seems to be getting more tips. Yep. Right? Or like yep. or like I'd had experience where I was very naive, 18 years old, working at a restaurant. And this dude's like, hey, you want to smoke some meth after work? And I was dating my wife at the time. And I called her up. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm going to go with my buddies. He's an actor. We were going to smoke some meth. And she's like, that's a fucking horrible idea. And I never put it two and two <laughs> together. Like, you know, I, I was just like ready to go. And I didn't, you know, smoke meth with that guy that night. So, but that's where I was, you know, at in that naive state. But the point being, the restaurant scene is just jacked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be fucked up the whole time. We had the, the, the Woodstock room. It was basically the coat room. Yeah, yeah. We'd go in and get high, and I'd walk out, probably reeking like weed and go up to someone's table. But I was making great tips. You know, again, another version of me. Yeah. Every That's why I love the restaurant, because every time I walked up to a table, it was an opportunity for me to be this different version and refine this fucking version. I know exactly whoever what I saying. was. And what I liked is it was like a fucking trial and error. This is like a social experience. I fucked yep. up with this table. I'm yep. running four more tables. Yep. Like, you know, I I just have to turn you over and now I can present something different to this motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Not to go too far sideways, but fast yeah, sure. forward for the restaurant industry, 
I got sober and moved to Florida, uh, like I told you. And one of the first things that one of my friends that was already there had said was, I quit my job in Manhattan and I moved down there. And they were like, listen, I, I know you've been in the restaurant industry for a long, a long time, but there's this really cool group. It's a restaurant group that owns a restaurant, a martini bar and a nightclub. And they all, they own, it's literally like one compound. Mm-hmm. And they're like, everyone in the town goes to this place. It's hopping all the time. You'll make great money. And also, you know, it's a good opportunity for you to meet people locally as a newcomer to this area. Like, why don't you come and talk and whatever. And so here's me sober now working in a restaurant looking at all these people just completely pissed their life away yeah. and some people you know listen if people are going to smoke weed or do that I, whatever whatever if, if you can maintain great but living in florida especially it's the perfect environment for that because you party all night you wake up at 11 12 o'clock you go to the beach for three four hours you go to work rinse and repeat right, right. and for some people i respect that that's the way you want to live your life and just make enough to get along get, get by and, and whatever great and there were a few people because I, they're not miserable inside no i think they're unicorns but yeah there weren't many people that did that but so anyway you know talking about that version of me at the table like at that point i was i was working in an industry so fast forward a little bit i now have a really good job in florida and healthcare right? And I'm running this company with this other guy and we're doing all this stuff. And so when I walk up to a table, I had this different approach where I'm like, you don't fucking know me. Like you see how customers treat you, right? And so there were plenty of times where I'd walk up to a table and some guy would be an asshole in front of his girlfriend and I'd be like, get up, get out. And they're like, excuse me. I'm like, get out. And, or someone leave me like a dollar 50 tip I'd go chasing after them and go up to them and be like, here's your money back. Clearly you need it more than I do. Like version of me. Yeah. Yeah. Sober. Like, you know, and people would say stuff and I would stop. And so our, the owners of this group always said that they, they empowered us to, to decide whether or not someone belonged as a part of the family and coming into the restaurant. And if we had trouble, they empowered us to deal with it ourselves. Right. And so like, I'd see people start treating me like shit and I'd turn and look and I'd so like I turned to a guy and and this wasn't me being oh I have this great job it was more like you don't know me and so like I, I'll never forget it this one guy uh he started treating me like shit and I just stopped him and I'm like what's your day job and he told me and I'm like I make five times more money than you do I'm doing this because I want to not because I have to like who are you to talk to me that way just because i'm here serving you food like i'm beneath you i'm below you well if we want to put the facts on the table i'm actually way above you and then i turned and looked at his girlfriend i'm like does he usually treat people like this and she's like yeah i'm like yeah boyfriend right and so like it's weird how the reason i'm saying it's weird how that evolved for me right and and even when i was sober it was still so hard for me, no matter how much money I made or no matter what I did, I couldn't get out of the restaurant industry, man. I loved being in the weeds. I loved the yeah, cake. Yeah, yeah. I loved a like, feel to it. every day. And so like that, I was still drawn to, even though I was there. And the really cool part, man, is that like, I knew when I got sober, like there was a point when I first got sober where I was always raising my hand. And the first thing that came out of my mouth yeah, was, yeah, I'm sober. Yeah. And then people would be like, okay, great. Whatever. Right. 
But I knew in situations like that, I, these people needed to know that I was sober because I wouldn't want them to encourage me to get into an uncomfortable situation. And the people were really fucking cool, man. No one ever put me yeah. in an uncomfortable spot. In fact, a lot of these people idolized me. And there's two or three people that I met in Florida at this one place. Guess what? They're sober today. And I'm not going to sit here and take all the credit. But, but you're a part of their journey. That's they the watched, fact. They watched my life. And yeah. to this day, this many years later, these people will reach out and be like, damn, man, like, I just, I can't get you off my mind. Thank you so much. My life's so good right now. And, and for me, that's what it's fucking all about. But a hundred percent, bro. And so then yeah, I've got back. A, yeah, let's go, go back. Let's go back. I have this job and this guy finally is like, what the fuck's going on? And I'm like, listen, man, things aren't as good. You know, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. And he's like, all right, well, we need to get you back on track. And so this is where my life really, really, really spiraled. Um, I was living with this older girl at the time in her parents' basement. Um, they had this apartment. Now, when I say living, I was sleeping there every night, but I'd still go home every couple of days. My mom was still doing my laundry. Mm -hmm. We were at a really, really rocky spot. And um, I remember going home one night and um my mom's begging me to stay she knew what i was doing she knew i was partying she knew i wasn't going to school she knew that my job was in jeopardy and not because i was close to her and talking to her it was just obvious i was reeking that i was just really headed down this shitty path and so i remember that she just finally and my mom was always very nice to me but very direct and she was trying to do it in a loving way and then she just snapped on me when we were in my den in the house that I grew up. And she basically was like, you're turning into a piece of shit, blah, 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 blah. And I turned around and looked at her and I was like, you know what? Fuck you. I fucking hate you. I hope you die. Yeah. And I walked out of the house. And that conversation weighed on me. And the next night um, I was high and drunk and I got in my car and I went home for whatever reason. And I was like, I really, I was going to pick some stuff up and it was like this, I want to be home, but I don't want to be home, but I need to pick stuff up. Maybe I'll just stop there, grab some shit, say, I'm sorry. And then go to my girlfriend's parents' house and stay with her. Long story short, uh, I went up, I made a sandwich. I went upstairs. I was sitting in my room. My room was directly next to my parents' room with paper thin walls. I heard my dad scream. I ran into the room and my mom She died, and I heard the last breath leave her lungs. Oh, fuck. And that sound haunted me. I'll, I'll never forget knowing that my mom was dead. My one sister was still living at home. I sprinted downstairs. I told her something happened. She had I a heart attack? My other sister, yeah, she had a heart attack and died. Sorry, out, brother. Out of nowhere. Yeah. And... I remember calling my other sister and I wouldn't tell anyone that she was dead. I couldn't say it. I knew yeah. she was. The paramedics showed up right away and they worked on her for, I don't know how long we followed them to the hospital. And then hours later, the doctor came out and was like, she's gone. And I remember just like, what the fuck? You're 21, 22. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Still a kid. And so 
that's where things really spiraled because immediately there's your the advocate. Guilt. The well, guilt. I lost my shame. advocate. I lost the buffer between me and my dad and this bullshit. And I was high and drunk. And even though um, I remember like two days later, our family doctor, we all went to the same doctor, my dad, my mom, my sisters, me, he was like family to us. And I remember he came walking up the steps in my front yard. I was, I was, you know, standing outside on the porch and he literally just like went to his knees and started crying because she had gone to him a few days earlier and was like, you look the healthiest that you've ever looked. You're looking great. Things are good. Yeah. You know, my mom. And so anyway, long story short, yeah. her, her diagnosis was what happened to her was impossible for anyone to have saved her heart. Like she, there was nothing that anyone could have done, but I was trained in CPR and I didn't try anything on her. I didn't do anything. I was too high, too drunk. Like, where did my mind go? What do I do now? And which that, now, which now, you know, now you've done, yeah. this is what you're telling yourself then. But even then, my point is, is that when he when he got so upset, I remember him saying to me, because I, I voiced that to him and I broke down and he's like, Joe, like, I'm telling you that there's nothing you could have done. None of us could have done anything. He goes, where I'm upset, even knowing what happened, that we didn't detect it, but it was undetectable what happened. It just was a, a freak thing and she had a heart attack and that was it. And so and it, it sounds like to me that um, you barely needed an excuse to go over the deep end. Oh You're man. Right there. And, over. and well, here's one of these, the most traumatic situations anyone can go through. And you're coupled with self-blame, guilt. And where I was at, I literally told the woman the fucking day before, I hope yeah. you fucking die. Well, guess what? My wish came true. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've said that to my mother. Yeah. You know. Um, and so the shit I, I just, yeah. it's, it's, you, I, I don't care if looking back on, on all these things, I don't care what relationship you have with your parents or where it's at, like. Yeah. I don't care how much you hate them or whatever. It still hurts. Right. Yeah. When you say shit like that, it yeah. hurts and it's only words, yeah. but it was the perfect storm there. And so for me then. Yeah. What's know, it look like going forward? A couple of days later, my dad, like just, we get into this massive argument and that that's where it came out. He goes, you fucking killed her all the stress. And he started sharing with me. She stayed up every night wondering where you were, what was going on. You fucking killed her. Knowing that what happened happened wasn't any of our faults and we couldn't have saved her. That went on me and then he laid it on me there and I'm like, holy shit. So I, that got into my head and I'm like, I, I fucking did this. And in, instead of doing something like, like here we are going to how fucked up we are and how we're wired, right? Yeah. Instead of that being a wake up call and being like, fuck, no. man, I got to get my no. shit together. No, it's just bumper stickers now. I just, just put got fucking nitrous in your head. Yeah. I just put nitrous and hit the gas and, and that's what it went. And that, that went from fucking smoking crack and fucking just doing the craziest shit and, and just putting myself in these situations where I should have died a thousand times over putting other people into situations. Um, I, I I told, you know, that was my excuse out of that job, by the way. Sure. I went into my boss and I was like, I can't do this. No. Nope. Right. 
I, I got to go. I'm, I'm going to just try and focus on me. I'm, I'm really going to try and focus on school. I had to throw that in there. Sure. Throw going away party and give me a laptop as a parting gift for my college fucking thing. I had no intention of going to fucking college. And so the that's, start of you's playing the th- you're still playing the theater of the lie where you can still you can't you can't with your father anymore you no. can't in certain but with this guy who you have so much respect for you can still play that theater and you can still in certain places so why wouldn't you but I knew that that was my that was the curtain call for me there this oh, is the yeah. finest hour and yep. then after that I don't have to communicate with these people anymore so let's go out with a bang right yep. And so that happened, and 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 so things just really, really, really spiraled after that. I couldn't hold jobs down. Uh, anyone that I associated myself with was to get fucked up, to get high, drunk, whatever. Um, and then there was this brief period that I tell people about where I would still hang out with some of my friends that I grew up with, but there was there was two acts of my evening. The first act was with the friends that knew me growing up, where I'd go out and get drunk, and at one o'clock, two o'clock, they thought I was going home. That was just the beginning. Then I went to the other group of people, and that's where I was doing crazy, crazy, stupid shit. You know, driving drunk, blackouts for days, not knowing what the fuck happened, uh, driving people all over the place and having no idea. Someone texts me the next day, hey, thanks for the ride. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, yeah, you drove from Manhattan out to this place on the island to here to the No recollection. Yeah. Xanax involved? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Time travel. Pure time travel. It's just like... uh, you know, then I started losing my friends that I'd party with. And I'm like, wait a minute, these guys want nothing to do. Like, who are you? Right. Yeah. And so that, that, that continued. But then again, fast forward, I found myself in a spot where I was extremely suicidal. I had no other option. My family wanted to do everything that they could. They didn't cut me off. That's one thing. And and some days I wish that they had, cause my life would have been a whole lot easier but that guilt just kept piling and piling and piling and piling and piling. And so my final phase of my addictions was my dad moved down to Florida. And uh, um, I remember, you, you know, that they were, he was trying to sell the house that I grew up in, but I ended up breaking in essentially and, and squatting there. And yeah. the realtors who are friends, you know, would try and show the house and it would be just, I'd, I'd have crazy parties. I remember one day that they came uh, uh, to show the house and I was laying naked after a, a, a mushroom run in, yeah. in the garden. Right. And, and there I am. And so it just, it got really bad. And uh, I was doing whatever I could, however I could. I was lying, cheating, stealing, robbing people, just horrible stuff. Um, and, you know, the stuff that we only share with a couple of, most people yeah, yeah. on here, but um, I turned into an animal, right? An animal, a complete animal, an absolute animal. Yeah. And um, that day I woke up and like I told you, I was like, I can't even get this shit right. Like I, I was praying to God that I wouldn't wake up that next morning. And yeah. here we are. I did. And I remember that feeling that I tell people all the time, like I can't even get that right. That's how much of a fucking loser I am. Right? I know I know that exact I know that exact conversation. And I always looked at people 
that like I heard that we're going to commit suicide or you find out that committed suicide and like, what a fucking piece of shit. What an asshole would you do this? But like, I can relate to being in that spot. Yeah. Well, when it's, and it, and, um, to like, for me with my family, you know, I had my son when I was 18. I'd been, I've been married since 2006. It wasn't until 2019 that I got sober. So once I, once I got to that place where I wanted to go, I wanted out of this body, of this life. Yeah. And I had convinced myself that I was such a detriment to everyone that surrounded me. Now I have to prove it to you. Yeah. You know? And that self-pity that I would walk around with. I'm going to show you. Yeah. And it I'm didn't. fucking show you. You don't get empathy out of that. No. Well, you know. First, I'm trying to prove to you that I'm a piece of shit, but I'm a piece of shit that you should feel bad for. Yeah. What a fucking ugly look. And by the way, I'm going to treat you like shit when you're the one person that's <laughs> yes. trying to help me the most. Yes. Right? Or we true. hurt the people the most that are closest to us, right? And they yeah. say that. And it's, it's fucking... I still do it today. I still do it today. And so I went up there, and that was the best 33 days, literally to date, of my life. Still, to this date, it was magical. I cannot explain to people the transformation that happens because you think about it, right? For mm -hmm. us at that time, thirty-three days was a fucking life. You're gonna, you're gonna keep me here for thirty-three fucking days. Do you remember the first time someone? Uh, I don't know if these two experiences happened to you, but like someone showed you the door, or showed someone else the door, or someone else came in that had experience in prison and was like. You're here for 33 days and you can get out whenever the fuck you want. It's not the rest of your life. But that's the longest. For me, it was 28 days. That was a long, that's a long 28 days. After 14 days, I was ready to go. No one was ready to have me again. After 28 days, I was terrified to leave. Yep. Terrified. Yep. But I remember that. So when we were there, when I was there, I don't know how many guys you had in your group. Like on Small. average. Small. I had over 100 people. In the yeah, fishbowl. 25. Right? 30 tops. There are a lot of personalities. Doof. And mind you, you were there on your own. Well, even if someone was mandated to go there, mm -hmm. it wasn't a place that was lo on lockdown. You know how many times I'd be sitting at that front window playing chess and all of a sudden you'd see someone fucking darting down the driveway. And Get out of here. Get out of here. Running after them because they yeah. knew that there was someone waiting at the end. of the, It's a long ass driveway. Uh, hell waiting yeah. at the end to pick them up and they were out. Right? Get out of here. And they and made I remember, and they, boom. I remember looking out that window, even from the beginning, I'm like, why would you want to do that? Right. This is a shot. I couldn't. Well, no, mainly because of the comforts that I now let's go back for a second. Okay. Even though I was deathly afraid when I first walked in there, that place felt like home for me from when I was seven years old. Mm hmm. So literally, there was no other place on this earth because in many ways, now that I look back, that place felt more like home than my actual home did mm -hmm. because every person that I interacted with when I went there treated me with love, respect, care. Yeah, get... you recovered. They, they allowed you to recover with dignity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. That sign walked in, a bridge back to life. Yeah. That could not be any fucking truer, dude. 
And I don't care about my past history. That's my point that I, that I made earlier. Once I got there, it was all business. All the people that I knew, there was no bullshit. There was no, now don't get me wrong. One might pull me into their office in between something and check on me because we had that long history, but I got no preferential treatment. It was, what yeah, are you yeah, doing yeah. today to get better? How are things going? Mm -hmm. you no, know, they would talk to the counselors and say, "Hey, I, you know, I heard you talk to your counselor today. You're struggling with this. What's going on?" What did you identify with? As uh, I had a hard time with this. You know, they had the morning greeting, and you'd say like, "Fucking what you were working on for the day? Like, what's your drug of choice?" Blah blah blah. So when they asked you what your drug of choice was at the time, was that something back then in 2006? Where in the mornings, like a yeah. morning gratitude. What was your drug of choice? That you would tell alcohol. the group. You just say alcohol. I'm alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, because they didn't really want me to say I'm a garbage head because they're like, well, that's kind of, and I'd be like, yeah, well, I mean, for me, first and foremost, even when I, I speak, I'm an alcoholic and an addict and my name is Joe. That's the order. I'm an alcoholic first. I'm a drug addict. And then I'm Joe. Still to this day. I do that and too. Some people I will, say I'm an alcoholic. But challenge me on that. Yep. Because if I that's forget that, first. I'm fucked. There is no Joe. And I and I have a story to tell you in a little while about that. And I know that I, I don't know how long, you know, I'm I'm still good if you're good. Oh, I'm I'm definitely good because now we're getting sober, brother. And to me, the, now the, we're the beauty is now that like I love the drug the war stories, the stupid shit we do, but the hook is the recovery. Yeah. That's the fucking miracle. You know, I mean, and maybe you're not, you know, whatever. I don't know a better word than miracle, but for you to come it from where you miracle. There were, is a, it is an, by, by definition, the fact that you and I are having a conversation yeah. right now is a fucking miracle, dude. I, I, I'm with you, hundred percent. And so, when I got there, and all those people did what they did and they said what they said the magical experience for me was it was for the first time in my life in my existence i truly under understood what the word safe meant and felt that for the first time mm. and that's where this new version of me where i finally was like okay i've had fucking five thousand acts of my play this doesn't need to be the final act but this act moving forward I truly have a chance to mold a version of me that is still a piece of who I always, because I always say this about us as alcoholics and addicts, and, and I truly, truly, truly believe this. We are a special breed of people for a multitude of reasons. We're way smarter than people think. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're too smart for our own good. Most people think that drug addicts and alcoholics are fucking dumbasses. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. Rip. Real quick, I did, there's a guy, it's like my third episode, he's my first sponsor, and he was getting sober, suicide attempt, fucking second second time, in the, whatever. Point being, he went to my now sponsor and was like, I think I'm too fucking smart for this program. <laughs> and my sponsor without missing a, my now sponsor tells my first sponsor without missing a beat, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <clears throat> yeah. It's true, but we're also very caring and loving people underneath all of that, even though we do all of those terrible things. And so that feeling safe thing is like, I could, I could feel safe and I could be the version and all of that loving and caring piece that was inside of me, I can carry that with me. That stuff can carry over, right? Gotcha. That can come with me. 
And that's where I started to piece together, okay, what's going to stay and what's going to go? I remember Tom Buckley. I don't know if he was still there when you were there. He was the guy who was ahead of the men's program. Guy had been there forever. He basically told us that this is not cafeteria style, but it is cafeteria style, meaning for now, you don't get a choice about what you what you take in and what you do. You just got to go through what you got to go through. And then as right. you go, it becomes cafeteria style where you take and leave yeah. what you want. Right? They're going to manage your life for 33 days. You're getting an education. Yeah. 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 And so I remember doing that. And I remember the, the relationships that I formed with other men that were there. I, I've never in my life laughed so fucking hard. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Belly tear gut wrenching just dying. Like and just over the stupidest shit, but it was there. I found spirituality again. Again, I've never been religious, but from the very beginning, every single night we went into the chapel and we did the the rosary. No shit. And we all knew going in there that it wasn't gonna be a religious thing. It was more for the camaraderie, the silence the togetherness and 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 so god if we're going to go down that road i believe in god i believe there's a god but it's not this spiritual catholic version what i needed to learn right away and what people were also telling me was just get a god for the for the sole purpose of you need to stop playing god and if you think that there's someone or something that's more powerful than you it's going to it's going to give you the humility that you need right now not that i wanted but i needed mm -hmm. to go about your daily business right and so that's where this whole version of god went in i started praying every night and again it wasn't the religious act it was that that moment of i am less powerful than someone or something else because i played god for that stretch of life and and in fact previous to my initial drop off at college i played god throughout my life i tried i to don't think i like ever me. prayed on my knees before unless there was some yeah you know visiting someone's church where there was like a pad yeah. in front of you yeah, yeah. but i don't think i ever prayed on my knees until i was in the villa yeah you know like i really feel like i had a first three steps experience there yeah. and i specifically remember getting on the pain box which is you know, for my brother, there was like three or four pay phones, you know, and you get your quarters once a day. You called it the pain box back then too, bro. For a reason. And um, <laughs> and I'd call my, and I'd have these fucking like white light spiritual awakening moments in rehab. Yep. And I'd be like, oh, you know what I mean? And I, one of them was there was a guy that came in and he was absolutely lightning. He was lightning in a bottle. He was fucking so enthusiastic. And I raised, no one raised their hands afterwards. Everyone's looking down at their feet. And I raised my hand. And I said, you're so electric. I don't understand. How do you put that in a bottle? Yeah. And he said, pray. And I'm like, fuck. I was so mad at this answer. Fucking pray. <laughs> you got to pray. And I'm like, and no one's I got a couple minutes. I raised my hand. I was like, this is going to sound dumb. How do you pray? Yeah. How? I have no idea what you're talking about. But that's the beauty of what happened to you there. You made yourself vulnerable. That's what I was talking yeah. about before. Yeah. Would you have asked that question anywhere else? No. Fuck no. No way. Hell Doesn't no. even make sense. No. Unless I was in like India and I was having some kind of like right? guru situation. Yeah. yeah. You know. But I started doing that, and then and then that be, that grew to something bigger for me because that was like 
if I proved that I could do that every day, it wasn't even about the rosaries every, every, anymore. It was about the fact that I had some semblance of of consistency in my life. Like, yeah. holy shit, I just did something three yeah. days in a row, four days in a row. Yeah. Before I got in there, I couldn't fucking, I could do no, nothing. My basic human necessities weren't even able to be I could met. do coke for four days in a yeah. row, but I, I wasn't even yeah. eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even feed myself. Until my point. body just gave out. I was emaciated. I, I gained yes. something like 30 pounds in 30 days. That's I think that's my exact life. number. And so, you Did know, you get to see that... a picture, a before and after picture? Yeah. Of yourself. Yeah. It yeah. Was, it's fucking unreal. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that time too, they always told us in order for you to get yourself mentally back, you need to get yourself physical first. That's always been their approach was physical yep. first, mental after, because yep. your, your your body will not follow. And so we did that. And so all those relationships, all that stuff. And then I'll share a quick story. And there was a guy, his name was Jimmy Tisher. Um super close friend of ours growing up he's actually part of the aa police that got my dad sober back in the day so this guy was like mm -hmm. you know, at the time that i got to the villa my dad had already been like what 17 years sober? i'm guessing he's graduated you know? now to the and great so, meeting in the sky and so jimmy um jimmy shows up out of nowhere and i find out that jimmy has colon cancer mm-hmm Jimmy comes to the villa and, and calls for me and I get pulled out of one of the group sessions and I go into the chapel and he's sitting there and this man, if he weighed 75 pounds, I'm being generous. And I looked at him and the first thing that comes out of his mouth was, I'm glad you're here, but I need to let you know that the disease that I have inside of me right now that is killing me has nothing on the disease that you have inside of you right now. Jesus Christ. Nothing on you. And he's like, because it's not just what it does to you. It's what it does to the people around yeah. you. And so on and so on and so on. And so we talked for about two hours. And uh, Jimmy passed away not that long after. He, he came there against the doctor's wishes to talk to me. He, you know, he wasn't. He carried the message right until. That's incredible. But Dude, you've those... had some. You've had something in your life, brother. But th those were the dudes, and I, yeah, and I remember those interactions, and I'm like, fuck, man, like, I got to do this for Jimmy, I got to do this for myself, I got to do this for that person, and all this stuff, and all this stuff that I'm just soaking up when I got there. Fast forward, same thing as you. Sure. I am fucking scared shitless. What am I going to do? My dad wants me to move down to Florida. My sisters don't want me to move down there. They want to be able to take care of me. And so um, I immediately get out of there. I go home and uh, I'm sleeping on my sister's couch and uh, start going to meetings, got a home group. And thank God at the time, my home group on Long Island was in Port Washington. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. But I'm not too familiar with Long Island. I just know there's on the North shore, a like a third, a third of the way out. I got gotcha. on the water. There was a ton of fucking young kids, a ton of kids, my age and younger. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately went in all these guys that had gotten my dad sober, start bringing me to morning meetings at 5am in Seacliff. And these were the guys that, you know, so I tell people this, I grew up, grew up, I got sober. I grew up. Sure. Old school AA. Yeah. I'd walk into a meeting and these guys would be there and I'd raise my hand and I knew, Hey, I'm Joe. I have X many days meeting would end. The guy'd walk up to me, one of the guys and be like, don't fucking raise your hand. You got nothing to say. 
Open your ears up, not your mouth. No, <laughs> that gets you so bad. I remember I had, I had like fucking ninety three days, and this guy Jack Mullins, rest in peace. He's he's gone now, right? Great meeting in the sky. And they're like, anyone counting days? So I raise my hand. Yeah, I got ninety three days. Jack Mullins fucking looks at me, and I'm like, what do I do? After meeting, he said, "Listen, dude. After ninety days, we get it. You're here." Put your fucking hand down. I was like, no shit. You know, but I, I, where we are, it's like a loose garment type of A, wear your life like a loose garment, which I don't always, you know, I like a little everything, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, man, when old, point is, when old dudes say some shit like that to you, my ego does not like that shit. With these guys, given my, I mean, these guys, literally, one of the guys, that I'd go to these meetings with was my aunt's brother. So my dad's brother's wife's sister. Okay. Literally fucking family. I never really got to that point where I wanted to just to be like, fuck you. I want to punch you in the throat. I would just listen to what they said and be like, okay. Which is interesting. Cause anyone else in the world, it sounds like you can say, fuck you do. Yeah. Yeah. But I was so broken still. And so fucking scared that and at that point, to be honest with you, you know what my fear was? I had experienced the 33-day stretch of my life that was so incredible. I held on to that and was like, I, I, I don't want to let that go. Now, mind you, I knew that life was going to just start settling. I always compare getting sober to people like someone dying, right? Someone dies in your life and everyone surrounds you. Everyone gives you support. Everyone shows you love, care. They go out of their way. But then eventually these people go back to their lives, right? Life continues to happen. And so I knew that that rose-colored glass period was going to end, but I also didn't want to lose that stuff. And so that's why I was fucking scared shitless. And then also I trained my brain with the help of these guys that the minute that I would start to romanticize, like, and it wasn't even like I had a craving, but like maybe one day I could go have a drink or maybe I can go to a bar and go visit a friend and sit down and do it. But like immediately my brain would go back to like the worst points of my, my, my run. That's a gift. And I trained myself that every time I would think that, 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 um, boom, play the tape, right? Yeah, dude. That concept of play the tape. It works. It works for me now, but I would get so fucked i've had a couple relapses you know yep. and i'm coming up on two years yep. you know and uh i've got a good feeling about it i mean i'm doing a lot blah blah doing a lot of service take, yeah, whatever, yeah. blah 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 yeah but um i would play the tape give my middle finger to, to the god of my creation say i don't fucking care yeah i'm a piece of shit yeah. and i'm gonna show i'd go right back to that and i'm gonna show you what type of piece of shit I am. And then when you come out of that, it was fucking, oh, it was like, so, you know, another 24 hour chip and, and, and crime and you know, the, the nine. So you have continuous sobriety from the yep. villa to now. Yep. yep. What a miracle, bro. I mean, that's just, I, I trust me. I, I, I don't, I that takes people. work. That takes I don't want work. a fucking it's blue not. ribbon. I don't want a pat on the back. No, 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 no. I know no. what that takes. Well, and no, so, I don't, but, I have a concept of are you still doing some of the things now yes. that you were doing in early yep. sobriety? Yeah. And so that, but so that where I wanted to go with that is I can't relate to someone that's been in and out 
I can't relate to someone that's relapsed. But on the flip side of that, so like when I talk to people and then we interact and they're like, well, you don't know what it's like. You don't know how hard it is. And I'm like, yeah, well, fuck you. Guess what? I didn't do it, which means you don't have to do it. I'm living proof. Right. right. And that's my message to you. That's literally why I'm talking oh, to you. Oh, it's beautiful. You don't it's beautiful. have to do that. Well, you did all your relapsing before you went to the villa. It doesn't matter. How it's, many times did you tell yourself you oh, weren't going to do it again? Yeah, and then, dude, you know what I'm saying? Time. So it's yeah. like, no, it, but I'm assuming, I'm making that ballsy assumption that uh, you don't walk around saying, I've got this. You don't walk around with, with, you might have a chip on your shoulder. I don't know you that well, but there's a reason and there's things that you did and continue to do that keep you where you're at. It's a beautiful feeling to have the length of sobriety that I've had, but it also, like what I try and explain to people is I still try and share my message. I still try and help people. I still try and follow the things that I did in the beginning, but I, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was hard because I've gotten to the point in my life where I've seen so much fucking destruction. I've seen so many people fucking stumble. Mm -hmm. And so my message to people still is the same, if not even more so go fuck yourself get over yourself surrender oh, i love it you can fucking do this yeah you don't need to do it and and so like now it's not only my own experience mm -hmm. but after 16 years of trying to help people and interacting with people that are going through this i've got enough data now to share with people to say even through experiencing all that just because me as one person alone on this earth that is walking, that's been able to stop 16 years ago and not pick up another drink or drug, that is reason enough for you to believe that you fucking can because we are no different. We breathe air. We have blood flowing through our fucking veins. You spent the time to tell us where you came from, how bad it was. There's people that are going to listen to this that are going to say, wow, I wasn't that bad. And now you're telling us on the flip side of it, with 16 years that get over your fucking self, not you, but that yeah. it is possible. And here's the proof that you came from where you were here. Here's proof for me. Here's proof positive. Here you are, Joe in Utah. Yep. You get a phone call or text message from Kenny. Some, some dude that works at a rehab that God bless her hearts is not open. And he says, Oh, I got some kid that I like that's doing a podcast and boom, you're on it. Giving up your time freely so that, and, and you don't know that I, I don't think you think I have thousands of listeners. I have a good core 50 to 70 people listening to the show. And if one person, I think I needed to hear your message tonight. First off, you've impacted me. I'm pretty sure they won't see our zoom expressions, but you've impacted me. But there's a lot of sober curious. I get emails from people that are kind of just sober curious. I get emails from people that are Cali sober. You know, harm reduction is a big thing. Or people that don't understand what it's like. Um, so for you to t take your time out of your life and share your story with me, it's very it's it's a it's a humbling experience for me, and I do super appreciate it. Like that carries right. that carries weight about the passion behind your message to me, if that makes sense. I I don't know any, and thank you by the way. I I, I you know I 
I still struggle with a lot of stuff. And, 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 you know, my message to people today, every single morning I wake up, the first thing that enters my mind is that I'm a piece of shit. And then I roll over and I look at my beautiful wife. Hmm. And I have two beautiful boys. One's two, one's five. And I live in a beautiful house. And I own multiple companies. And I look around and the first thing that I say to myself is I don't fucking deserve any of this. 16 years later, I still fucking feel that every yeah. single morning. I well, still isn't, it, isn't it fucking awesome that we don't get what we deserve? Yeah. <laughs> because is. you don't we don't know you don't know and I don't know and we'll never know. We're not going to get the cookie. Right? Mm. You got some material things, but we're not going to get the cookie. But people like you and me and I been part of it and I see it more with others. We have a ripple effect. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And we have an Never. ability to affect other people. The wrench, the old stupid saying, there's a wrench for every nut. You know what I'm saying? But and your story, yeah. you my have message. the ability to help somebody else without knowing. If you knew you helped them, it wouldn't help you in the first place. Yeah, right? and so, yeah segueing and you saying 16 years of continuous, it, it doesn't mean shit because I still wake up every day. But it's okay. But it's okay. But it's okay. And I have tools. And I and and if I'm going to be completely transparent, you know, my wife and I struggle at times in our relationship because she's still trying to wrap her head. I've known her for ten years now. We've been married. She for doesn't 10. know you. She still doesn't get that my brain is wired differently, and every single day I start behind the ball, so to speak. Yeah. And I can't just wake up and have my kids come run in the room, and then jump on the bed without being like, "Holy fuck! Like, what's about to happen? I've got all these things. My anxiety kicks in." I'm sitting there going, hold like I'm a piece yeah. of shit. Like, because I wake up and I'm like, literally every day, how the fuck did I get here? How did I get here? I met this beautiful woman. Uh, she she's normal, she's successful, she's all these things. We lived in New York City and Manhattan. And I'll tell you a quick story. And again, I don't know how much if we're still good on time. We can we we're, can... we're still good. Well, I think we're we're nearing okay. The... I got I got one last story, like bigger story for you. That and and that's that's my message to everyone that listens to this thing is is important to me personally. But it got to a point where I moved into my girlfriend's apartment in Manhattan in a four hundred and fifty square foot apartment, and she you know gave me a fucking vacuum box that I could just transfer some clothes in and out of from my apartment in Queens. Mm -hmm. Then we graduated to an apartment on Fifth Avenue and Union Square. And I remember going out smoking fucking cigarettes in the morning and looking down at the homeless man that was sitting on the sidewalk. And I, I remember that feeling of like, how the fuck I was him. How did I end up up here uh -huh. on my deck on my fifth Avenue apartment? Like, how did that happen? And it's not the material aspect of that. It's, no, no, it's, no. It's just like looking down at this guy and I can sit here and play back the tape, the good tape. And listen, I've had my struggles through sobriety uh, big time, um, but I just fucking show up every day. And I tell people that even that aren't in the program, just fucking show up every day. If you show up every day with the best version of yourself that you can every day, good things are going to happen.
Maybe not at the timeline that you want. Maybe not when you want them. Maybe not how you want them. But good things are going to fucking happen. They are. Right? And so my end message is this. 16 years doesn't mean dick. My dad and I had gotten to a point in our lives that after I left Florida, I, I moved from Florida back to New York. Right? And I knew when I left it was very hard for me to leave because I knew when I left, my dad and I had become best friends on my way down to Florida. And I was moving there. We had a God knows how many hour drive. I remember that we were smoking cigarettes and on that long of a drive, we didn't stop and sleep. We would sleep in the truck and mm -hmm. I was my shit down. And so there was no like stop, sleep, rest. It was grab someone to eat, gas up and continue to go. I had this feeling come about me and I turned and looked at him when it was complete. It must've been complete silence for an hour. And I turned and looked at him and I said, I forgive you. And I remember him looking at me. He's like, what? He's like, for what? And I said, all the fucked up shit that you've done to me over my life, especially when I was a kid. But you meant it. I did. And he's like, why? Why now? And I said, why now doesn't matter, but why matters? And I said, because all the fucked up shit I did, who am I to judge you? You tried your best. Mm -hmm. And at different points in my life, I tried my best. And I tell you that part of the story because from that point forward, we were fucking inseparable. We were best friends. We did everything together. We were, rode motorcycles every day. I lived with him for a little bit. We went out to eat all the time. We did everything together. But when I left, I was no longer physically present. And we quickly started to drift apart, not because of me in any mm -hmm. way. He just started to disappear. Fast forward, um, I had my firstborn child, my, my, my oldest son, Max. My dad didn't get a phone call when we had a child. I had given up at that point. Mm -hmm. So here's my dad, who probably heard through the grapevine that he had another grandson, my first, and nothing. No call from me to him, none from him to me. And that fucking ripped me apart. Because, you know, if I knew if my mom was alive, she'd be all over that shit, right? Anyway, um, a couple months later, I think when my son was around eight or nine months old, I got a call from my dad, picked up the phone. I'm not doing so hot. Can you come down to Florida? I get the chills when I think about it because it was the same phone call I made to him. Fly down to Florida, go to him. He's living in a trailer in a trailer park. And he's maybe 90 pounds, emaciated, could barely walk, couldn't wash himself, couldn't do anything, couldn't feed himself. He was sick and didn't tell any of us. And so he must have known for a while. And I think that's one of the reasons why he stopped talking to us, because he did the same thing to my sisters mm -hmm. also and disappeared. And so um, I... Uh, I I tried our, my best. My sisters tried their best. We moved them up to New York temporarily to my sister's place to try and get him some help, some doctors and some stuff so we could keep an eye on him. He really wanted to stay in Florida, but he decided uh, one day that he was going to go back to Florida. So he did. Um, I remember getting a phone call uh, where he was just checking in. And he's like, hey, I'm in Florida. And at that point, a few days earlier, I had offered for him to move out to Utah and said that I'd get him a place. He could stay with us when he needed to. 
I'd get him some some care. You know, he'd need a nurse or something to to take care of him. No, no, no. Well, maybe that sounds cool. Let, let me think about it. And then, and he, anyway, long story short, he ends up back in Florida. And so uh, I'm like, what are you doing there? Like, who's going to take care of you? I'd, I'd rather be here. All right, pop, whatever. Do whatever the fuck you want. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Next morning comes and goes. Don't hear anything. I'm in a meeting with like 25 people in my office. At this point, I'm working for a tech company and I have all these. Yeah, people. not a not a not a 12 step meeting. You're in a fucking no, business. I'm meeting. in a business meeting and my yeah. phone's blowing up from a 516 number and I'm I'm in Utah and I don't answer. So finally, I step out and answer it. And it's my uh, it's my sister's uh, co-worker to tell me that my dad put a bullet in his head. Fuck. And he was dead. And uh, I can't describe the feeling that I had because here I am trying to help him and everything else. And I just, it's not a phone call that you want to get um, from anybody. Um, flew down to Florida and uh, we had to get his stuff in order and we were going to sell his trailer and there i am uh i told my sister my brother-in-law my two sisters my brother-in-law flew down with us and they told my my sister and my brother-in-law to uh not be around but i will never forget the day that i was on my hands and knees scrubbing up the area that he killed himself and so there was two messages and why i told you that story one I don't wish that on anybody. And the fact that I didn't pick up a drink or a drug going through all that stuff. When I sat out on the porch and I looked up and I remember thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice to get fucked up right now? And it's, you know, I knew it wouldn't fix anything. Um, and the second one was that um, the, toxic, the toxicology report came back clean, but I know that my dad had started, fuck, he was fucking around with stuff mm -hmm. at 30 years of sobriety. Mm -hmm. And so my message is, is that 30 years, 16 years, it doesn't mean fucking One, dick. 16 years doesn't mean shit. But two, if, if that wasn't a reason for you to drink. But the my fuck point reason is, is, should I, I come up with? On my side, if I didn't pick up going through all that shit, right. I didn't need a fucking excuse. Right. And the fact that my dad was clearly fucking around with painkillers and pills and Xanax and whatever, God whatever, knows. Whatever, it's Florida. Um, It means that what we think we have every day isn't actually real until the next day starts again. Right? And that, that cliche, stupid fucking saying that was drilled into my head one day at a time. Yeah. I gave two extreme examples of why that's so fucking true, man. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. So having my history and everything else with struggling with that stuff and then having my dad go out that way, my initial anger of the entire situation solely rested on the fact that you fucking selfish piece of shit. If my mom had five more minutes on the earth, if she had control, she would have fucking done anything to have one more second with us. And you decide that it's okay that you just want to fucking dip and bow out. What about us? You know? Yeah. Listen, Joe, 
it's just something I can't put into words about how it's fucked up. But there's also something beautiful behind the message you've turned it into. And I really think that that comes across. So I don't think it's really something that can necessarily be put into words. You know? But it goes goes along with the ripple effect of what I'm saying. There's no excuse. I've been through more shit in my sobriety than I did when I was out there. And the fact that I don't have to pick up and the fact that I'm trying every day. I'm no better than anybody else that might listen to this or anyone else that I come in contact with. I am living walking proof that anybody, anybody can get this thing. Anybody. And keep it. Getting it is one thing. Keeping it. Like you've learned, right? You, you, you've been back out there. Getting it. Fuck. Yeah, it sucks. Dude, I, I'm never. Yeah. Look, I don't care. You know, one day at a time. Blah, blah, blah. All these things. I'm never going through that first 90 days ever again, brother. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm just that's not fine doing for you it. to say that. As long as that's at your okay. core. At my core, I'm I'm living today and today. Yep. I do up. I have a routine. I get up. I pray in the morning. I take care of my fucking chickens. I walk my goddamn dog. I make an egg sandwich for me and the kid, you know. Walk to work. <coughs> and um But at the end of the day, brother, it's so much easier to stay sober than to fucking get sober. Wow, you know, it really fucking is, and I can't get that. That's what I mean. People, it's Um, it's it's hard, dude. I don't know you, but I absolutely love you, and I fucking appreciate your time. This was way. I also got to thank Kenny for for linking us up. I hope I get to see you on the road. I'm, you know, I mean, it sounds like we're both uh, people on a journey. I would, I would love nothing more than that, man. And I, you know, I try and keep in touch with as many people. And I know that a lot of people say that they do it, but like, I'm, I'm a big believer of let's make it happen. I'd, I'd love to spend some time with you when I come back, or if you ever want to come out to Utah and explore, it's beautiful out here i, I just, hope my, uh, i hope my wife doesn't hear this episode because she'll she'll be on I me mean, how, how do we get out to utah because that's all she talks about yes. is getting out to utah i told her i was talking from someone from utah and it lit her right up it's what you know some people have different bucket lists i mean my what you're right near um like um national park and everything uh so i live in salt lake which is uh-huh. you know in the mountains other proper but any of the national parks are, are within a a day trip it's yeah. it's they're they're all super close that's southern utah i live you know do you spend your time out there do you do recreation not as much as i'd like to oh, i yeah. i you know i'm going through a bit of a of a thing right now where i'm just working way too much and you know as you can imagine two young kids it's it's a lot but that this yeah. spring today was warmer i am making it a point i mean the, the 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 outdoor therapy that you can get here and listen i grew up going to the catskill mountains my, my yeah. grandparents had a house in middle that was my life and yeah. so i've always loved the mountains I, I wasn't a city boy or growing up I, that's always been what i've been attracted to and so i know the benefits of that but um you know I, I need to get out a bit more but it's here i mean i literally live at the mouth of a canyon i could be on a trail in 10 minutes and and going through the mountains and so you get the best of both worlds and so this is home base for us we like to travel and see the world as a family we do that a lot and uh 
Life's fucking good, man. Life's it's fucking hard. good, dude. It's wild. But it's good. It's good. And I get to meet people <clears throat> like you. And, you know, I want to thank Kenny also. But I want to thank you. I mean, what you're doing is uh, incredible. I mean, I, I always tell people, and in our journey, if we can impact someone, we're not going to fix anybody. If we can impact one person's life, that's a lot fucking more than a lot of other people do. Well, I, I really thank you for the impact you've had on me tonight. I think this is a great place to leave it, brother. Fantastic. Yo, hit me up anytime, please. Let's keep please. in touch and let's get on and fucking play uh, some games. All right, brother. I'll send you my Steam ID. Please do. Dude, awesome. All right, dude. Have a good night. Awesome right. to, to catch up and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you, Joe. All right, brother. Danny. Hey, what's going on? I don't know. What's going on with you? Uh, just driving home from work. So we're at the end of the episode. Okay. And the listeners have heard a freaking awesome interview. Okay. And you've been sent some emails, but you're driving, right? I am driving. All right. So I will read the emails to you, and then you will comment. But, okay. fir but first, how are you, Uncle Danny? I'm doing well, thank you. You're lying. <laughs> it's okay. Normies can have problem too, Uncle Danny. Yeah, well, you know, there's the average uh, stress of life, and then there's the stress of everybody else's burdens put on you too. Yeah. Maybe you're not a normie. Maybe you're an Al-Anon. Did you ever think of that? All right, so here's what's important. Ready? Yeah. People love you, and I love you. All right? That's what's important. All right, and I'm going to prove it. Here's our first email. This email is to willyshowpodcast at gmail.com, and the subject is Sal. Danny, did you listen to Sal's episode? I did listen to Sal's episode. What do you think about Sal? I... I have to tell you that I listened to all of the episodes except for last week's episode. Last so week's episode all, is Sal. They are all intermingled. So if it was Sal, I didn't listen to it. Okay. So you I was just going to say to you, I can't picture which one was Sal was. That's the one you didn't listen to. <laughs> all right. Listen okay. to this. This is from uh, Kenny. I loved Sal's story and related uh, to... When he was moving, it's hard not to compare AA groups where you originally got sober. Danny, you'd know about this if you were caught up on this episode. But I'm really proud of you for being caught up on the other episodes. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, I, this I did the, uh, the whole chunking thing. It worked out very well for me. Chunking's nice. So anyways, yeah. I'm finishing the email. Go ahead. I missed Uncle Danny. I cannot wait till next episode. Keep up the good work. Kenny. All right, comment on that. Do you like being missed? Yeah, I like being missed, of course. Who wouldn't like that? Well, people love you, and it's okay to be going through hard times, Danny. You don't have to lie to our listeners. This is a non-bullshit show, right? That's true. Even though I'm full of shit. Okay, email number two. And I'm trying to make this quick, because people just went through an hour and 45-minute interview, and it was sick. I can't wait till you hear this one. 
All right. All right. This one is from Jane. It the subject is Girl Scout cookies. Okay. Yeah, you know what she's talking about, right? Jane loves yeah, of the course. Jane loves the caramel ones that should be called coconut ones. <laughs> okay. I've gotten a lot of backlash about this and I figured out what the problem is. Okay. Okay. They were called Samoas, but they are now called Caramel, Caramel Delights. Delights. And yep. Jane thinks they should be called Coconut Ones. <laughs> I think Jane's right. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to go ahead with Jane and agree. What's a Samoa? Yeah. And what does it have to do with coconut? Yeah, exactly. All right, real quick, Danny. What was one of your favorite moments from the episodes? Oh, uh, probably the one where you said that I would be totally forgiven if I just mentioned the fact that I listened to the one in which I was totally forgiven. Guess what? <laughs> What's that? You're totally fucking forgiven. <laughs> all right. Oh, hey. Like all these little Easter eggs that are in there, I mean, like, none of your listeners are going to know. No, like, the, the in- one of the intros was a Scarecrow and Mrs. King, which you caught, which I was told was a confusing intro that made no sense. <laughs> so if you were confused by one of the intros, I was putting an Easter egg for Uncle Danny, and he found it. But guess what, Uncle Danny? From now on, you and me are either going to do Zoom interviews... Or I'm looking to set some in-person things up. I've got an interview lined up with a Hasidic gentleman who's a horrendous crackhead and a beautiful human being and has all of his life devoted to service. But he's only willing to meet me in person. Okay. So maybe you want to hang out. One of the things that was recommended to me is can you get Uncle Danny in the same room? Yeah, that'd be interesting to do for sure. I think so too. Listen. We want the listeners to continue to write emails, right? We absolutely do. Where do they write the emails to? Willyshowpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, dude, you are on point. And I know. I almost said the Willy Show. No, it's man. not. And, and, <laughs> I know. And where can they follow us on Instagram? Willy Show Podcast. Yeah, at us. Tag us in all sorts of shit. Please share this with your friends. Please share this with your own Uncle Danny's. Please, someone from Al-Anon, reach out to Uncle Danny. He's absolutely struggling. And that's probably breaking a tradition. But I love you, and we'll see you next week. Love you, too. All right.